Welcome to the podcast of Harvest Church. Thanks for joining us. If you'd like to know more about our ministry, you can find us on social media or visit us at harvestak.com. We pray that the message would encourage you and challenge you to grow in your faith with Jesus Christ. Enjoy the message. Amen. Well, there's no, um, there's no pressure to knock any socks off now, I guess. We, a lot of talk about socks this morning coming off. Um, well, for those of you who don't know me, my name is Nathan Arnold, and uh, we're so glad that you're with us this morning. Uh, welcome to all of our guests. Uh, we're glad that you're here, and we pray that you're blessed by this service today. Uh, as Monica mentioned, Pastor David is gone this weekend. He is in uh, Wilmore, Kentucky. And uh, it's part of his seminary studies. And please be praying for him this week as he's there studying, taking multiple classes. Uh, If you've ever been in that sort of environment, the the term that they use to describe these are intensives. And I imagine that it's very much the case. And so be praying for him because it's, you know, you know the expression, it's like drinking from a fire hydrant. I imagine it's going to be something like that. And, you know, um, we benefit directly from what's happening there. He's going to come back, and a lot of the things that he's learning and studying are going to uh, come into his messages that he shares with us. And so be praying, because eventually it's coming to you in some form, and um, <laughs> you want it to be good, right? And you want, to, you want to understand it. You want him to be able to communicate it clearly. So it's to your benefit to pray for our pastor, is what I'm saying. Well, this morning I want to talk to you about... Um, Trusting the process, and that's the title of my message this morning, is to trust the process. Now, if you are unfamiliar with this term, this term actually originated in the sports world. And basically, the concept is that when a sports team has gotten so bad that the owner deems it's important to basically just start over they will start to use this term with the new coach, trust the process. Now, when I was a kid, my brothers and I, we were into, um, we were into football, much more so than I am now, but we would collect football cards, and I'm really not into football that much anymore. It's too politicized now, but anyhow, it's, when I was a kid, I picked a favorite football team. Now, you probably know that kids don't really pick favorite sports teams for any particular rhyme or reason. They just, you know, it can be the most random of reasons why they decide to like a a team, especially growing up in Alaska where there's really no football teams. So, (laughs) so it's a little bit embarrassing, but as a kid, I picked the Miami Dolphins as a football team and um, then they were my team. Now, the Miami Dolphins 20 years ago were actually pretty decent. Once, may actually, maybe it's longer than 20 years now. But once upon a time, the Miami Dolphins were actually a pretty good football team. I mean, they won some Super Bowls. They had this guy, Dan Marino, good quarterback, all these sorts of things, right? Well, the last 20 or so years have not been kind to the Miami Dolphins. They've been pretty bad. And they've been through a lot of coaches. Now, what has happened with that organization most recently is they have a new coach. And that new coach gets a new manager. And they look at the 
the roster of players and what they do a lot of times in this rebuilding process is they figure out, okay, who are the most expensive guys toward the latter part of their career that we can trade away, maybe while they're still good, we get, we get some good draft picks from those guys, and then all of a sudden we don't have to pay them this much money. That's kind of the idea behind rebuilding. Now, what happens in the short term with rebuilding is that the team typically is worse than they were before. They go from kind of mediocre blah to just absolutely atrocious in the bottom of the league. And so that can cause some unrest with fans. And the phrase that gets thrown out is this phrase, trust the process. And basically what it means is that the coach has this plan and that there's this promise of a better team someday. (laughs) And then over here is the fulfillment of that promise. In football, it would be like the Super Bowl, right? So there's the promise that we're, okay, someday we'll have a better team. There's our promise. Here's the fulfillment, Super Bowl. Now, from here to here is what's called process. And that's why they say trust the process. You have to trust that the coach is going to work all these things for good, and then it's going to turn out the way that it's supposed to. But it's not always easy to do, right, to trust that process when you're in the middle of it and you're not seeing those results that you're eager to see, that you're expecting to see. It's really hard sometimes, actually, to stay in trust. You know, this term came to my mind recently. About a month ago, I had the opportunity to go hunting with a friend, and he and I brought our sons with us. And this was the first hunting trip that I ever, least long trip, that I got to take my son on. I've taken him on, you know, day trips here and there. But this trip was like, I mean, just so much better in so many ways. We're going to you know, drive down a ways into the mountains, and then we we're going to unload the ATVs. We we're going to ride the ATVs in for multiple miles. We're going to be in the middle of nowhere. It's going to be amazing. It's going to be awesome. We got all these tags to fill. Yes, we're just going to kill animals, and it's going to be, you know, we have meat in the freezer, right? Well, I'm the kind of guy that when, when I go hunting, I get, and it's, it's not something that's necessarily good, but I get really focused on the results. And so in this case, the result of hunting or the, you know, the end goal is filling the freezer, at least for me, right? I mean, it's nice to have, you know, great big antlers to mount. That's cool. I mean, I'm not complaining if that happens, but typically it's just fill the freezer. That's the goal, right? Well, I get so focused on those results that I can get impatient with that process. And if you've ever been hunting in Alaska, you know, or really hunting anywhere, you know, especially guys that rarely does like hunting go off without a hitch. Never goes 100% perfect. Never goes 100% according to the plan. And in this particular trip, (laughs) I'm looking. So without saying anything, Adam and I were the ones that were going hunting on the trip. I'm looking at Adam and I'm chuckling because Adam's like, oh God, he's going to tell all these things now. I won't go through, I won't go through everything, Adam. It would take too long (laughs) to get through the message. But, you know, what happened was we started having problems with vehicles, not just one vehicle, like every vehicle started having problems. And we'd fix one thing, we'd get all loaded up, and we'd get ready to go, and all of a sudden, I mean, literally less than a mile from my house, a tie rod came off the truck. So we got to learn how to fix a tie rod and do an alignment, you know? So, yeah, hey, it's process, right? Not super fun. A day and a half delay. And, you know, here's what happens, right? I mean, being honest here, what happens in process and when those delays start happening 
I mean, I don't remember what point we said this, but at some point we said, maybe God doesn't want us to go hunting. <laughs> right? You start to question. You start to question and process. It's pretty, it's pretty easy to do. And that's kind of where we ended up. Well, after about a day and a half, got it all worked out. We had it loaded up. I had to borrow an ATV trailer because mine wasn't, you know, it was just all these problems, right? Got it loaded up, and we're like a day and a half delayed, I think, at this point. And we get down to the staging area. We get in. It's getting kind of later in the evening. And I'm thinking, okay, I know there's a couple of creek crossings. I don't remember how many. I, I don't really like crossing creeks in the dark. I don't really like crossing creeks in the daylight on ATVs. It just makes me nervous. So I'm, I'm definitely feeling anxious to get to the hunting camp. Well, Caleb and I are riding double because uh, we have just one four-wheeler and he's small enough that he just kind of sits behind me. So as we're driving in there, we have this opportunity for conversation because we're sitting so close and we're just talking and just kind of pointing out all the scenery and looking at all these things. And pretty soon it dawns on me that for Caleb, every like corner, every bend is exciting. He's not thinking about, oh, I just want to get there. The whole thing is an adventure. He's enjoying the process. Whereas for me, I'm wanting to get to the end result. And God spoke to me in that moment, and he said, process matters. Process matters to the Lord. And I began to think about that, like, well, if process matters, then why? Why does it matter? What is the Lord's goal for us in process? How come sometimes we get a promise and the fulfillment of that promise is relatively quick and then other times we get a promise and the fulfillment of that promise is a really long time? Why? Why does that happen? What's the Lord trying to teach us in those moments? And that's when I started to think about trust the process. I want to look this morning at James 1, 2 through 4 as our key scripture as we explore this idea of trusting the process. And I'd like to read it to you this morning from three different translations. They'll be up on the screen for you. You can certainly follow along in your Bible as well. Starting with the ESV, it says, Count it all joy, my brothers, when you meet trials of various kinds, for you know that the testing of your faith produces steadfastness, and let steadfastness have its full effect, that you may be perfect and complete, lacking in nothing. The new living words it like this. Dear brothers, when troubles come your way, it's just because this message is so power-packed, you guys. <laughs> Charged up. Yeah. When troubles come your way, here we go, when troubles come your way, consider it an opportunity for great joy. For you know that when your faith is tested, your endurance has a chance to grow. So let it grow, for when your endurance is fully developed, you will be perfect and complete, needing nothing. And finally, I really like the way the message translation words this. Different, slightly different take on it, but listen to some of the, the language in here. Consider it a sheer gift, friends, when tests and challenges come at you from all sides. I don't know that any of us go, wow, this is a gift. I have a test and challenge. I don't think I was thinking it was a gift when like, things were breaking down. And by the way, actually, once we got in there, my four-wheeler broke down too. That was another story. Hey, we got it fixed, praise God. Consider it a sheer gift, friends, when tests and challenges come at you from all sides. You know that under pressure, your faith life is forced into the open and shows its true colors. 
So don't try to get out of anything prematurely. Let it do its work so you become mature and well-developed, not deficient in any way. If you guys are like me, you may have wrestled with these verses from time to time. I mean, you know, after all, why, would, why does God want to test my faith? I mean, if I know the word of God, I know the promise, I know it's true, it's for me. If I confess it and I believe it, why doesn't it just happen right then? Why does God test my faith? What's going on with that? Sometimes I think we want to avoid this verse because it's, it's not always comfortable for us to think about the idea of waiting. No one wants to consider it joy, much, left, much less a gift when troubles or challenges come our way. But the reality is that we all face them from time to time. The time between the promise and the fulfillment of that promise is not always instantaneous. It can be a process, and God has a purpose and a reason for that process. So this morning, what I want to do is I want to look at the life of someone in the Bible who goes through a process of waiting for a promise to be fulfilled. And, and you can probably, you know, there are many examples actually in the Bible of people who went through a process waiting for a promise to be fulfilled. But the person I want to look at today is David. And I don't know if that's just because I'm a worship leader and I can relate to David's emotional ups and downs all the times and all these sorts of things. But I really believe that there's some powerful truths in the life of David that help us understand what it means to go through process, what process is, and really what our response should be to it, okay? So starting in 1 Samuel is where I'd like to read today and just kind of setting the stage for what's going on in David's life at this time. Now, this is really the first time that we see David in Scripture, 1 Samuel 16, and I'm going to start reading in verse 6, but just a little bit of background. Many of you know what has happened up to this point, but for those of you who don't, or just a reminder, Saul is the king of Israel, and basically at this point, the Lord has, at this time when he sends Samuel to anoint David in this chapter of the Bible, the Lord has rejected Saul at this point. And he tells Samuel, I've rejected him. I want you to go and anoint a new king of Israel. And so Samuel gets to Bethlehem. Jesse's sons come out. Jesse lines them up before him, everybody except David, that is. He lines up all of his sons. And Samuel is supposed to look at these boys and anoint the next king of Israel. So that's where we pick up here in verse 6. When they arrived, Samuel took one look at Eliab and thought, surely this is the Lord's anointed. Now, just a quick pause here. I wonder how many times we miss God's promise because it doesn't look like what we thought it was going to look like. Samuel shows up and he's got in his mind, okay, this is what a king should be. And he takes a look and he goes, man, this, yeah, yeah, this dude looks great, right? Surely. Now, he's thinking this. He doesn't say it, right? He's thinking, surely this is the Lord's anointed. But the Lord says to Samuel, don't judge by his appearance or height, for I have rejected him. The Lord doesn't see things the way you see them. People judge by outward appearance, but the Lord looks at the heart. Then Jesse told his son Abinadab to step forward and to walk in front of Samuel. But Samuel said, this is not the one the Lord has chosen. Next, Jesse summoned Shimea, but Samuel said, neither is this the one the Lord has chosen. In the same way, all seven of Jesse's sons were presented to Samuel. But Samuel said to Jesse, 
the Lord has not chosen any of these. Then Samuel asked, are these all the sons you have? There is still the youngest, Jesse replied, but he's out in the fields watching the sheep and goats. Send for him at once, Samuel said. We will not sit down to eat until he arrives. So Jesse sent for him. He was dark and handsome with beautiful eyes. And the Lord said, this is the one, anoint him. So as David stood there among his brothers, Samuel took the flask of olive oil he had brought and anointed David with the oil. And the spirit of the Lord came powerfully upon David from that day on. And then Samuel returned to Ramah. You know, it's interesting that the Bible doesn't really tell us the exact age of David at this point in his life. We don't know exactly how old he was when he was anointed to be king of Israel. We can get kind of close based on some other things. And so scholars estimate that at the oldest, David was probably 17. And that's based on the fact that later on, we're told that three of his brothers are in the army. The minimum age to be in the army is 20 at this time. And then you just kind of count back through all the other brothers, kind of with the minimum gap of time. But it's probably unlikely that there was the exact minimum gap between every, I mean, you know, every brother. So scholars, scholars kind of agree that he's probably somewhere around 15 when this happens. Again, we don't know for sure. The Bible doesn't tell us. But somewhere around 15. David is anointed to be king of Israel at 15. David becomes the king of Israel in 2 Samuel when he's 30 years old. So there's a promise. He's going to be the king. And then way over here, 15 years down the road in his life, he actually becomes the king. And that time is all about process. What is God doing in David's life to prepare him for the promise that he has for him? What is he, what is he raising up in David? What is he looking for in David during those times? And, and how is he using his life? And that's what we're going to talk about this morning. I want to pull some truths out from David's life in the second half of 1 Samuel, things that happened to him in his life that can help reveal to us what the Lord wants our response to be when we're in the middle of process as well. And the first point I'd like to make really isn't so much a truth as it is a definition that I think is really critical for us to get, and that is that process does not negate the promise. See, David never stopped being anointed to be king of Israel during those 15 years that he was waiting to be king. Just because there's a process does not mean the promise wasn't true. And that's what the enemy would like us to do. His first step is usually to get us to believe a lie. Go, God didn't really tell you that. You didn't really hear from God. That's where we tend to go with that a lot of times. Imagine, I mean, imagine what life was like for David the very next day. Or maybe even the next hour. You know, you walk, I mean, first of all, you're tending sheep, right? You get called in, here's this dude you don't know, anoints your head with oil, he's a prophet. Then he leaves and he goes back. At, what, what do you do with your life now? You're just told that you're going to be the king of Israel. And all you were doing was watching sheep before that. I mean, kind of weird, right? So you go back. Yep, the next thing you do is you go back and you watch sheep. <laughs> Not much changed. I'm sure that David had all sorts of questions. Well, I wonder when that's going to happen now. 
you know? Or even, you know, maybe the longer he tended sheep, maybe, maybe he even began to question it, like, well, maybe that guy was just, you know, maybe he was mistaken. I don't know. I mean, we don't know exactly what's going on in David's brain right there. But he goes back, and everyday life just continues. When we don't see the fulfillment of a promise right away, we tend to have a few different responses, all of which are rooted in misunderstanding the purpose of the process. Oftentimes, the first thing the enemy will do is to get us to question whether or not we really heard from God. He seeks to undermine our confidence in the Lord by getting us to question his goodness. Deceitfulness is part of the character of the enemy. Jesus told us, speaking of Satan in John 8, 44, he was a murderer from the beginning. He has always hated the truth because there is no truth in him. When he lies, it is consistent with his character, for he is a liar and the father of lies. We might become more neutral and say things like, well, you know, this typically happens when we've held on to a promise for a while. We tend to start talking like this. Well, you know, if it's the Lord's will, wait, that's going backwards. If you were given a promise and it is in the word of God and you know that the promise is from the Lord and it's in the word of God, it matches up to the word of God. Why would you be going backwards saying, well, if it's his will? See, the enemy seeks in process, the enemy seeks to try to manipulate that idea with us to where we start to even question whether the promise is the will of God. He's getting us to question the very truth of God in those moments. We can't do that. We can't go backwards. See, don't misunderstand what I'm saying. I'm saying that when there is process before the fulfillment of promise, we sometimes go back as if we'd never heard his will. Process is not a sign that we didn't hear from him, but rather an opportunity to use or to count it as joy and allow our endurance to grow. That's what James is talking about. Process does not negate promise. Process develops and grows our faith. That's the goal of it. Remember, the Lord does not see that delay the same way you do. He doesn't view time in the same manner. 2 Peter 3.8 says this, But you must not forget this one thing, dear friends. A day is like a thousand years to the Lord, and a thousand years is like a day. In a commentary called Waiting on the Lord, Bob Deffenbaugh writes this, Satan seeks to undermine the faith and obedience of God's children by deceiving us about God's goodness and divine delays. I believe he did this with Adam and Eve in the garden. I believe this is at the core of Satan's temptation of our Lord at the beginning of his earthly ministry. Satan was saying to our Lord, Oh, sure, I know that you are God's king, but rather than deny yourself by obeying God and being 40 days and nights without food, why not serve yourself? Why wait to eat? Why, um, why get to your kingdom through suffering? Why not worship me and I will give you a kingdom now? Isn't that the way Satan thinks and acts? In times of waiting, Satan wants us to doubt that God's promises will ever be fulfilled. He seeks to get us to act independently of God and obtain these things on our own rather than to wait for God to give them to us. He seeks to raise doubts about the goodness of God as though he is withholding something from us out of pettiness. He works at promoting distrust in God and especially in the word of God. He prompts us to disobey God and to follow our own judgment. He urges us to seize the moment, to use questionable means, to use others as a means to our desired end. It's important that we remember that 
in this entire process of waiting, David never ceased to be anointed to be king of Israel. The Lord never forsook him. Okay? The anointing was there. It tells us that in that first scripture that we read. Um, even though there was a large gap of time, the reality was coming of what was coming did not change. In fact, during this time, David grew in character, reputation, and authority. Not only is he called to the court of Saul to play music, but he also slays Goliath and is made a commander over men of war. We're told in 1 Samuel 18, 14, David faithfully led his troops into battle. David continued to succeed in everything he did, for the Lord was with him. You know, finally, it, the last part I want to talk about in this point is that the Lord actually both directly and indirectly confirmed the call of David through other people in these stories. First of all, there's the story, and actually this shows up a couple of different times, where David comes back from battle, and the women gather, and they sing this song. You remember the song, if you grew up in Sunday school, you remember what they sing? Saul has slain his thousands, and David his ten, tens of thousands, right? So, you know, there's already a recognition among the people of the Lord's favor and calling on David's life. There's already a recognition of that promise, and the Lord confirms that promise with things like this. Even more directly, he confirms the promise with Jonathan. In 1 Samuel 18, at the very beginning of that chapter, is where Jonathan and David meet for the first time. Now, this happens directly after David has slain Goliath. And David talks to Saul for a little bit. Jonathan kind of observes this conversation. And then Jonathan and David interact. And I want to start, actually, with verse 3. 1 Samuel 18, verse 3. And Jonathan made a solemn pact with David because he loved him as he loved himself. Jonathan sealed the pact by taking off his robe and giving it to David, together with his tunic, sword, bow, and belt. Whatever Saul asked David to do, David did it successfully. This act by Jonathan is actually symbolic of basically giving David his right to be the next king. He's essentially passing that on to David by doing this. One commentator says this, When Jonathan gave David the robe and his armor, he said by this action, You will be the next king of Israel. You should be dressed and armed as the crown prince. God's hand is on you, and these rightfully belong to you. Because Jonathan was surrendered to God, he could see the hand of the Lord upon David. He knew David's destiny and was perfectly willing to set aside his ambition to honor the Lord's choice. So throughout the entire process of waiting, the Lord never ceased to be real. Process does not negate promise. In fact, it might be more accurate to say that it's through process that the Lord brings the promise. Amen? The second truth I want to pull out this morning for you is that process prepares and matures. The Lord will use process to grow and develop us. The steps are often incremental and essential to maturing our faith. And often these steps occur in that secret place, in that quiet time with the Lord. That's where a lot of them developed for David when he was tending sheep. See, the tending sheep wasn't a mistake in David's life. In fact, it was a way that the Lord was preparing him for the very promise that he wanted to give him. That's where he developed David's skill. And the skill that David had in playing musical instruments was something that provided him with an opportunity to have access to the king. See, Saul gets troubled by this spirit. He gets tormented by this spirit. And his servants tell Saul in 1 Samuel 16, 
16 to 18, they say this, Let us find a good musician to play the harp whenever a tormenting spirit troubles you. He will play soothing music and you will soon be well again. One of the servants said to Saul, One of Jesse's sons from Bethlehem is a talented harp player. Not only that, he is a brave warrior, a man of war, and has good judgment. So even things in the natural like that, skills, the Lord is using all of that. He's working all things for your good. He has a plan. The process is not a mistake. It's not an accident that it's there. David's faith grew during this time as well. Here's what David says when he is talking to Saul just before David goes out to meet Goliath. Now, you know these stories, so I'm kind of jumping around in David's life to tie some of these things together for you. But here's what David says when basically Saul tells him, no, you can't go fight that guy. You're crazy. I'm paraphrasing that. It's not scripture, but basically that. Here's what David says. But David persisted. I have been taking care of my father's sheep and goats, he said. When a lion or bear comes to steal a lamb from the flock, I go after it with a club and rescue the lamb from its mouth. If the animal turns on me, I catch it by the jaw and club it to death. I've done this to both lions and bears, and I'll do it to this pagan Philistine too, for he has defied the armies of the living God. The Lord who rescued me from the claw of the lion and bear will rescue me from this Philistine. That's faith. David's faith grew. Do you imagine the first time David faced a lion, that his faith was as strong as it is here? Probably not. I believe that faith has grown incrementally in these situations. The Lord is speaking to him. And then what about the first time he faces a bear? He gets to the point where he's confident. If the Lord can deliver him from a lion and bear, he can deliver him from this pagan Philistine, right? That's how his faith has grown in those processes. But again, it's the secret quiet place where the Lord grows it. Similarly, the Lord will use process to mature our faith and grow us to the point where we trust him in even greater ways than ever before. It's important to guard those times where you have intimacy with the Lord. Those are moments where crucial growth occurs. So we've got skill and faith that the Lord is developing and maturing. And there's two more things I want to talk about that he's developing and maturing. And that's character and patience. Now, as a teacher, um, I, I'm a teacher. That's my main profession. And, you know, it's interesting. Character, character is not something that we talk about as much as we used to. Some teachers still talk about it. But it's, it's almost become this. No one would say it's outdated, but it's almost treated like it's an outdated concept. But it's not outdated to the Lord. Character and patience are critical, and they're two things that the Lord places great value on. So if we jump forward in this story, we're going to see some of this character and patience played out in David's life, and this is in 1 Samuel chapter 24, and we're not going to read this. I'm just going to kind of set the stage for you on the story. What, what happens here is at this point, David has been on the run from Saul for multiple years, and David is hiding in a cave. And now at this point, David has also gathered together men that are with him, that have kind of joined his cause. David has a lot of favor, and, um, and he's won quite a few battles. In fact, while all this is going on, while Saul is trying to kill David, David is still fighting battles on Israel's behalf, doing things. Some of you need to hear that again. See, while Saul is trying to kill David, David is still fighting battles on Israel's behalf. That's character. Right? 
So David and his guys are hiding in this cave, right? And Saul finishes with this battle. He come, they come to a crossroads, and Saul goes into this cave. Now, David's men look at this, and they go, oh, man. I mean, I'm paraphrasing here, like, hey, boss, we got him. The Lord has delivered him to your hands. There he is. Go, go take the promise, in other words. They don't say that. But think about that for a moment. David's at a place where he can, in just a few strokes, he can fulfill the promise to be king. He's popular. He's victorious. He's a great leader. He could make it happen right here in this moment. But character and patience. The Lord is developing David. David pulls back because he does not want to lay a hand on the Lord's anointed. David realizes that the Lord's timing and plan is better than he can do himself. So David instead cuts a little part of Saul's robe. When Saul realizes what has happened, David and Saul have a conversation. And Saul says this to David in 1 Samuel 24, 17 to 20. You are a better man than I am, for you have repaid me good for evil. Yes, you have been amazingly kind to me today. For when the Lord put me in a place where you could have killed me, you didn't do it. Who else would let his enemy get, him, get away when he had him in his power? May the Lord reward you well for the kindness you have shown me today. And now I realize that you are going to be king and that the kingdom of Israel will flourish under your rule. See, it would have been easy for David to have killed Saul in this moment. And in some cases, maybe, you know, in some degree, maybe he would have been justified in doing so. I mean, the guy was trying to kill David. He didn't like him very well. But David refused to allow the process he was going through to embitter him. David refused to become bitter in the process. That's an important word for some of us today. David did not become bitter in the process. Instead, he chose to allow it to develop him. Patience and character are natural byproducts of process. And it is the waiting that the Lord in the waiting that the Lord develops these traits. Just like in David's case, we can rest assured that the Lord is working all things for our good. Romans 5, 2 through 5 says this, because, our, because of our faith, Christ has brought us into this place of undeserved privilege where we now stand and we confidently and joyfully look forward to sharing God's glory. We can rejoice too when we run into problems and trials, for we know that they help us develop endurance, and endurance develops strength of character. And character strengthens our confident hope of salvation. And this hope will not lead to disappoint. And that's the last point that I'd like to share with you this morning. Process does not disappoint. So if we trust that the Lord is good and we believe that he's working all things together for our good, process could never disappoint us. He's not going to disappoint us. He's not going to let us down. Are you familiar with the story of the Chinese bamboo tree. I was not familiar with it until I started to prepare for this message, but I came across this story, and the first time I came across it, it was kind of presented almost like a, like a children's tale. Like there was, you know, maybe like, well, parts of this have been exaggerated to try to get a message across, you know. That's really common with certain stories and different cultures. Sometimes messages will get exaggerated just a little bit so the kids believe it, you know. Um, but I actually checked and looked at it, and um, it's 100% it's true. This is exactly the way it works. So the idea is this. A Chinese bamboo tree 
when it first starts out, the seed is probably about as big as your thumbnail. And the seed gets planted in the ground, it gets watered, it gets nourished, it gets cared for every day. And at the very end of the first year of doing this, this is what it looks like. Nothing but dirt that you can see. So you continue to water and nourish it every day during the second year. And at the end of the second year, this is what it looks like. The same. So you continue to water and nourish it the third year every day because you don't want it to die. And at the end of the third year, it looks like that. Dirt. All you can see at least. So you continue to water and nourish it. And at the end of the fourth year, it still looks like dirt. <laughs> Finally, in the fifth year, it looks like this. It grows to 90 feet tall in just six weeks. See, what, what you didn't see the entire time during those years that it was being watered and cared for and nourished, what you didn't see were all the roots that were growing to support this. See, that's what process does. Process develops things in us that we don't always see, but is critical for what the Lord wants to bring about in our life. We tend to get frustrated when we don't get five-year results immediately. The truth is, though, that process is essential and everyone must go through it. Romans 8.28 says this, and I've actually referred to this scripture a couple of times already in this message. Romans 8.28, and we know that God causes everything to work together for good for those who love God and are called according to his purpose. When, so when David was in that cave... He wrote some of the psalms that we have today. There's actually multiple that he wrote in that cave. Might be kind of fun. I mean, at least it seems like it would be fun to me. Maybe not for you. I don't know. You know, search those out and see. It might give you a new perspective on those psalms when you read them, knowing what he was going through when he wrote them. One of them that he wrote was Psalm 142. And I'd like to look at this this morning because there's something so important that we get and process from this psalm. David starts out in this psalm. Now remember, he's been running from Saul for a couple of years. He's, I mean, Saul's trying to kill him, all these things, right? David starts out in this psalm by just kind of like an emotional dump. Is that, you know, you know what this is like, right? I mean, guys, you kind of know what this is like, right? When you just, that's where you're supposed to just listen, guys, remember? Not fix it. Yeah. So that was just a bonus. That just came out. Must have been Holy Spirit inspired. Somebody needs to know. Just listen, guys. Actually, it was me. I tried fixing it yesterday. I'm being totally honest. I tried fixing it. I should have just listened. Um, true. So if it's for me, it's probably for you too, you guys. David starts out and he's just, he's just pouring his heart out to the Lord. There's nothing wrong with that, by the way. We sometimes get in that mindset where we're like, oh, you're just complaining. Well, you can, you'll see what happens here with David. There's an important, 
there's an important shift that has to happen. So David starts out, he's pouring his heart out to the Lord. Verse 1, Psalm 142. I cry out to the Lord. I plead for the Lord's mercy. I pour out my complaints before him and I tell him all my troubles. When I am overwhelmed, you alone know the way I should go. Wherever I go, my enemies have set traps for me. I look for someone to come and help me, but no one gives me a passing thought. No one will help me. No one cares a bit what happens to me. That's depressing. I mean, it's horrible, right? There's a shift. All of a sudden, David goes from being wrapped up in his own thoughts to being focused on the Lord. And the shift is what happens. He shifts his focus. There is always a shift of focus when going through a process. If you are caught up in yourself wondering why the process hasn't ended, it could very well be that it's because you're still caught up in yourself. Let me say that again. I, think, I don't think you got that. If you're caught up in yourself wondering why the process hasn't ended, it could very well be that it's because you're still caught up in yourself. There's a shift that has to happen. See, David starts by pouring out his heart to the Lord, but then he shifts. He's declaring praise and trust to God, and then he ends by declaring his confidence in the goodness of God. And there, this is not the only psalm where David shifts his perspective. It's actually fairly common in the psalms to see that. But in verse 5, David's perspective shifts. Then I pray to you, O Lord. I say, you are my place of refuge. You are all I really want in life. Hear my cry, for I am very low. Rescue me from my persecutors, for they are too strong for me. Bring me out of prison so that I can thank you. The godly will crowd around me, for you are good to me. The last line in the ESV says, The righteous will surround me, for you deal bountifully with me. In the Passion Translation, that last line says, And all your godly lovers will celebrate all the wonderful things you've done for me. And the message says, Your people will form a circle around me, and you'll bring me showers of blessing. See, now we can see why James said to consider it an opportunity for great joy. What a joy it is to praise God in the process. When we confidently know his promise is true and that he is growing us and working all things for our good, we can rejoice that our faith is tested and our endurance has a chance to grow. So how did it turn out for David? Well, it's not until 2 Samuel that we read about him finally becoming king and it continued to develop in steps. Initially, David is anointed the king of Judah, but he goes on to unify the tribes of Israel, makes Jerusalem the capital, and rules over all of it. He moves the ark to Jerusalem, establishes an organized order of worship and praise, and continues to see many military victories. He was the first king whose reign was later looked back on as a golden era in Israel. Of course, David faces many more challenges in his life after becoming king. You know some of those challenges but he continues in humility to trust God through every process. Perhaps his greatest accomplishment, though, is that he is called a man after God's own heart. Yeah. Amen? What about, what about my hunting trip? Well, we arrived. We had a great time. It was a huge success. It was a blessing to spend that time with my son. And really, the destination was worth the journey. At the end of the first night, we got to take this picture here. And this is, on top of, um, this is on top of a mountain right as the sun is setting. And it was just an incredible time together. And I think something like that says it all. 
It's a good way for us to wrap up. We can trust the process the Lord has for us. Let us be confident knowing that his promise is true. He is growing and maturing our faith, endurance, and patience. And he works all things for our good. He will never disappoint us. Amen. Well, let me pray to close us today. Father, thank you for these people. Thank you for what you're doing in their lives. I thank you for your goodness, Lord, in every situation. You never cease to be good, Lord. Even when we're in process and we're waiting to see the fulfillment of promises, Lord, we are confident in your goodness. We trust that you're working it all together for our good and that you have plans to prosper us, Lord Jesus. We're grateful for everything that you're doing, Lord. I pray protection on these people as they go about their week, that they would be blessed this week and greatly encouraged in their faith, Lord God. In Jesus' name, amen. amen. Bless you. Have a good week. Thanks for listening. If you enjoyed this podcast, be sure to like, subscribe, and share it out across social media. If you'd like to know more about Harvest Church, you can visit us at harvestak.com. Thanks again for joining us. God bless.